Hey there, podcast listeners. My name is Bryant Manning, and I serve as the pastor here at the Wesley Foundation at FSU and TCC. We are a campus ministry of the United Methodist Church on the campus of Florida State University here in Tallahassee, Florida. These sermons that we're presenting here are designed, written, and presented for college students who are exploring their lives of faith and growing in their walk with Jesus. And our hope and prayer is that you too will be inspired by these messages, that you will learn something about the scriptures, and that you'll leave with your life transformed by the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. Thank you so much from the bottom of our heart for listening. I want to give a message this morning called Created to Do Good. Come on, let's say that together. Created to do good. Some of you would be like, well, it's created to do well. I'm looking at Emma Klotz, who we're working on that. Uh, But created to do good. I want to read this morning from Ephesians chapter 2. Now, if you were on Beach Retreat, you will remember remember a portion of this, and we're going to take it kind of to the next level. This is Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 8. You are saved by God's grace because of your faith. The salvation is God's gift. It is not something you possessed. It's not something you did that you can be proud of. Instead, we are God's accomplishment, created in Christ Jesus to do good things. Say, do good things. Do good things. God planned for these good things to be the way that we live our lives. So remember that once you were Gentiles by physical descent, who were called uncircumcised by Jews who are physically circumcised, and at that time you were without Christ, you were aliens rather than citizens of Israel and strangers to the covenants of God's promise. In this world, you had no hope and no God. But now, thanks to Christ Jesus, you who were once far so, so far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Christ is our peace. He made both Jews and Gentiles into one group. With his body, he broke down the barrier of hatred that divided us. He canceled the detailed rules of the law so that he could create one new person out of the two groups, making peace, say peace. He reconciled them both as one body to God by the cross, which ended the hostility to God. Let's pray over the preaching of God's word. Oh God, may your words be a lamp unto our feet. May they be a light unto our path. May they speak to us. May they speak through us for the establishment of your kingdom on this earth. Oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight and in your sight alone, oh God. You are our rock, you are our redeemer. And we love you because you first loved us. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. My first question that I ask people, and many of you will have been the recipients of this question in your lives, uh, is what are you going to do with your life? What are you going to do with your life? I I get to spend a lot of time with... 18 to 22-year-olds, right, who like to sit there and um, tell me all of the things that they're going to do in their life, or more commonly, shake their head in, I don't know, (laughs) 
or laugh a little bit. There's like usually a little bit of an awkward laugh there, right? Like, ha, 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 don't tell my parents I don't have a major yet, right? Like a little bit of that happens. But I always ask the question, what are you going to do with your life? And we always talk about the same kind of stuff. We talk about the major that you're going to take. We're going to talk about the next thing you're going to do. And I have the uh, fortune to be in your life at this point, right? I have the fortune to stand here for those four years when you moved away from home and you're trying to figure yourself out. You're trying to figure out what your passions are. You're trying to figure out who you are. And I get to walk with you through that. It's one of the greatest privileges in all of my life, even if we don't have a final answer at the end. I will tell you, uh, most of us don't really know what we're going to do. I had a few moments in my life where I had to grow up. And so those were the moments where I had to make a quick decision. Okay, here's what I'm going to do. But most of us fly a little bit like, well, I would love to do this, but I don't know if the job's available. I would love to do this, but I don't know how much more education I have to do. I would love to do this, but I didn't pass a very vital class, right? Are you with me? It's like that happens a lot. Now, I will tell you, I've never seen somebody who was more laser focused in their life with what they are going to do with their life than my friend, Chris. Chris, uh, I went to school with, he, he's a good friend even to this day. I, I went to, I was literally, he had three different roommates in the same hall freshman year. Uh, that's a whole other story. But he had three different roommates throughout the freshman year. But I've never seen somebody who was so laser focused with what he was going to do. Because when I asked him, hey, man, what are you going to do? He was like, well, I'm actually going to, I'm going to Florida Southern College. That's where we were. I'm going to finish in three years. I'm going to do my degree in religion. I'm going to then take that. I'm going to go to Duke Divinity School. And then I'm going to do a three-year master's in divinity program. And then I'm going to get ordained in the United Methodist Church. And I'm going to become a United Methodist pastor. And I'm going to do that as quickly as possible. And I was like, oh, I was like talking about dinner, you know, <laughs> like, uh, I've never seen somebody who knew from day one that I met them how laser-focused they were. It's a little bit of an inspiration to me to figure out what I'm going to do with my life because I still feel like I don't know. <laughs> but I think that's how we all answer the question, right? How, what are you going to do with your life? The question that we often ask is, what are you going to do for job? The question that parents often ask is, how are you going to make money? right? How do I stop paying for you, right? Like, that's the question that we often ask, and and that's how we answer the question, what are you going to do with your life? But I want to suggest something. I want to suggest something to you that maybe that's one layer of asking that question, and we need to go deeper than that. Uh, The question may not be, what are you going to do, meaning what am I going to major in? What am I going to study? What am I going to get a job in? How am I going to research? That may not be the most important question. I I think I might want to ask, who are you going to be? Who are you going to be? And I actually think this is what the scriptures constantly want to ask of us. Who are you going to be as a person? Not just like, what are you going to do? Not just how are you going to make money? Not just how are you going to exist? Not just how, who are you going to marry? But who are you going to be? It's a deeper question. So that's what I want to talk through this morning. It's still asking about the future, okay? It's still asking about, like, what your dream and vision is. It's, it's still asking, like, how is God moving in your life? It's still asking about the future. It's just more about your behavior rather than your work. Are you with me? Like, it's, it's, it's more about, like, how you're going to be defined than anything else. I want to go back through the scriptures. Now, for those of you who are on Beach Retreat, you will remember, hopefully, hopefully, that I preached on the beginning of this chapter while we were at Beach Retreat, Ephesians 2, the beginning of the chapter, the first uh, six to eight verses or so. Um, I, let's see if you remember this. 
we talked about how God is great in, you remember? Mercy, yeah, amen, extra points to Derek. That God is great in mercy, known by mercy, known by grace. That's where we are. The, the entire first part of that section of, of the scriptures talk about how we were broken and we were far away from God and we were not able to get to God. And so in, in I, I, I had to preach it at 9.30 in the morning and I told him that you know maybe that's not the best way to wake up is to say like, you are bad, you're horrible. <laughs> and that's the way you read through it. But then it says, however, God is great in... Mercy, yeah. However, God took care of this part. We talked about that, that major piece of grace. So that's, that's kind of where this is, and I want to walk through back to the rest of this. Now, this is in Ephesians 2. Uh, this is the beginning of this. We're going to go back through it, Garen. You are saved by God's grace because of your faith. This salvation is God's gift. It's not something you possess. Say, it's not... Something you possessed. It's not something that you did that you can be proud of. This is uh, an important part and maybe not necessarily where we're going to go for the rest of this morning. But let me just say, it is essential for you to understand theologically. It's essential for you to understand as somebody who's trying to follow in the steps, the path of Christ, that the grace that you were given was a gift. It was a gift. It's not something you did. It's not something you possess. You're not capable of it. It's something only God could give you. That is essential for us to understand. The next question then becomes, what do we do about it? Right? So we were given that grace, that mercy, because God is rich in mercy. And what do we do about it? For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand in our way of life. Instead, this, this translation says, instead we are God's accomplishment, created in Christ Jesus to do good, what? Things, yes. God planned for these good things to be the way that we live our lives. As a follower of Jesus, somebody who is saved by grace and by grace alone, something that we can't do ourselves, by somebody who is in that place, in that place in our life where we are accepting that grace, then the question is, what were we created to do? And he goes on, Paul says here, we are created in Jesus Christ to do good things. Say good things. Good things. God planned for these good things to be the way that we live our lives. Church often likes to focus on the first part of the story. We focus on the brokenness. We focus on the forgiveness. We focus on the, can I say the word, conversion. But then Paul goes on to say, instead, we are God's accomplishment created in Jesus Christ to do good things. Like, it's a part of our participation here. John Wesley, who was the founder of Methodism, and the reason we have a building named this, is because he would say that we had to participate in our own salvation. This is a part of what we're doing. We were created to do good. Say, I was created to do good. was created to do good. This week, I had the opportunity to be on a retreat. The rumor got around, by the way, that I was at Disney World. Not true. I wish it were true. Not true. 
But it was kind of a crazy week. You ever have one of those weeks where you're like, nothing ever stops? That was kind of the week that I had this last week. We got back on Sunday afternoon. I think we dropped off the, the truck around 3 o'clock or so, and I went home to see my kids. I have two little girls, and I got to see them for the first time. I got to see my wife for the first time in a couple of days. And beach retreat is kind of chaotic when you're leading it because there's a lot of little things going on, and you have to be all over that. So I was exhausted. Have you ever been there? On Monday... I took the day off, praise God, for Sabbath. I took the day off on Monday. And then on Tuesday, I did have the opportunity to go to the Albany Civic Center in Albany, Georgia, and took my kids to Disney Junior Life, which I think is how the Disney thing came out in the rumor mill. And, uh, but it's, it's exactly what you think it is, Disney Junior Life in the Albany Civic Center, right? It's, a, it's as chaotic as it sounds. And we got, we got there, we, we got the girl, I literally was dressing the girls, parents in the room know what I'm talking about, dressing the girls in their pajamas like for the hour and a half ride back because there was no chance they were going to make it all the way, so they were going to fall asleep, and so we had to do the very careful transfer thing, right, where we picked them up and say, please don't wake up, right, and we put them back to sleep. And then on Wednesday morning, first thing in the morning, I had to go to St. Augustine. And I went to St. Augustine for a retreat that was mandatory fund, uh, re- required by new ministers, and, or four new ministers. And so I, I went to St. Augustine. Now, I've been to St. Augustine a, a bunch of times in my life. I am a lifelong Floridian with a little jaunt in North Carolina before I came back. But I'm a lifelong Floridian. I've been to St. Augustine, and I've done the tours, you know, the Fountain of Youth tour and the Spaniard tour. If you don't know about St. Augustine, it is... By legend, at least, the earliest, oldest town in the United States um, and was, was founded a long, long, long time ago. And there were some things I learned in St. Augustine this week, though, that I honestly didn't know. I didn't know that it was a, a, a change agent, a linchpin, in the civil rights movement in the 1960s. I didn't realize this. But... We got to actually go view some of the places in which big events happened in the civil rights. This is a picture of Martin Luther King Jr. and a guy named James Brock. This is at the Monson Motor Lodge Hotel and Restaurant. And Martin Luther King Jr. was there with a bunch of his friends, both white and black, and he was going to try to eat at the Monson Motor Lodge. And he was met there. He took some cameras with him. He was met there by the owner of the Monson Motor Lodge, which is James Brock. And he stood there, and he said, we are not integrated here. You are not welcome in this place. You cannot eat together. And Martin, in his very soft, nonviolent, passive way, said, we think you're doing a great injustice to society to not allow us to come eat together. And so he stood there very softly and said that right there. Actually, I have a picture. Garen, it'll take a second to load because they're kind of big. But this is um, uh, the the monument that is put up now. These are the steps that he stood on. And when they tore down the building, because it's now a Hilton, (laughs) When, uh, when they tore down the building, they kept the steps where he was arrested because he would not leave those steps when James Brock wouldn't have let him in. The next day, they, they had a, what they call a wade-in. Some called it a swim-in. You have probably heard of the sit-ins that happened in the civil rights era. It was like that, but with a swimming pool. And um, people got into the swimming pool who were not uh, white people. And James Brock, that same guy, poured cleaning, pool cleaning acid into 
the pool. This made national news, international news very likely, so much so that Lyndon B. Johnson saw this. There's a recording of a phone call that he had as president where he received this, and he was appalled at the behavior that happened at Monson Motor Lodge. It was because of things like this that happened in St. Augustine. Again, I didn't even know. I was a lifelong Floridian. It was because of things like this that the Civil Rights Act of 1964 was signed in 1965. Many people say these were some of the moments that we can point to that changed hearts and minds about this because this is such a visual sin, right? It's fascinating to me because when I think about people who do good in the world, you know, I, I think about Martin Luther King. I think about people who gave of their life for something else, something greater, something bigger, who, who lived within this, like, I was saved by grace and I was called to do good in my life, right? And so I must change my behavior. It's interesting, this is actually what Paul goes on to say. I want to pick it up in this next section, Garen. So remember that once you were Gentiles by physical descent, who were called uncircumcised. Don't get hung up in the circumcision language. What he's trying to say is that there were certain type of people and another type of people, and they were different, right? So he's saying Jews and Gentiles. He's saying who were called uncircumcised by Jews who, were, who are physically circumcised. And at that time, you were without Christ, meaning like you who, who weren't circumcised were without Christ. You were aliens rather than citizens of Israel and strangers to the covenants of God promise. And in this world, you had no hope and no God. But now, thanks to Christ Jesus, Jesus, you who were once so far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Christ is our peace, he says. He made both Jews and Gentiles into one group. With his body, he broke down the barrier of hatred that divided us. He canceled the detailed rules of the law so that he could create one new person out of these two groups making peace. I can't help but think Paul's statements about being saved by grace, being created to do good works, and then this long piece about being pulled together with no more barrier are next to each other on purpose. These things are together there is not one without the other. Those groups Christ brought together. And I, I can't help but think that it's our calling, our requirement, our need, as people saved by grace, as people created to do good works, to go and do those things ourselves. We must be a part of that. To ignore it, is to maybe not do good, created to do good. Let me suggest, if you're asking, what am I going to do with my life? You should figure out the school thing, yes. You should figure out the career thing, yes. You should do all of those things, and you should be smart about it. You should try to make as much money as you can. Unless you can just tell me as somebody who didn't do that, you should do that. But in that process... You must 
live in to the nature of yourself, which is that you were created to do good. You were created to do good. I would invite you to see that that doing good is the work of reconciliation between people groups, between broken friendships, between judgment. I would invite you to see that the work of Christ, the work of being created to do good is to bring groups together. The worst thing in the world inside of a church, yet we all deal with it, is the clicks that happen, right? Even within our own body. It would be a calling to include rather than exclude. That would be the calling, I think, on all of us to do the good work and to create one body together. You were created to do good, to do good works according to the work that God did within you, according to the grace given you. You were created to do good. So let me just invite you. I want to show you a couple of ways right now, real practical, that you here at Wesley Foundation can get involved. And if you're a parent, I got some for you too. The very first one is uh, sign up to go with us to Guatemala. We're going to Guatemala May 4th through the 11th. It's going to cost a lot of money. That's where the parents come in. It's going to cost a lot of money. We're going to raise a lot of money and selling, including selling shirts that say, do good. I love that, right? That's one of the things that we're doing as, as an organization right after graduation next semester. And if you are interested and you didn't come to the interest meeting, come find me uh, or come find Kara or come find Phil, who is somewhere, and um, there he is, and uh, get with them because we're going to get you on the list. Don't worry. Uh, if you're worried about the money, don't worry about it. God provides. That's one of the things that you can do. Uh, we also work with a, a justice ministry organization that works for the poor in this area. Uh, and that's something that can be really helpful for you as an 18-year-old who's, you know, most of your bills are kind of taken care of, right? Like, it can be very helpful for you to get outside of that a little bit and um, get to know the work that's happening in our community. This coming Wednesday night, this is new to everybody because I just put it together. But <laughs> this coming Wednesday night, we're going to do a house meeting after community night. Um, right here in this space, if you're interested in learning about the work of KJM, Capital Area Justice Ministry, and finding out what they're going to do for the poor in this area this year, uh, I would encourage you to do that. That is a way in which you can do good. The other thing I would invite you to do, on uh, November 13th, here in this room, we are going to host a night of worship and unity for all of the campus ministries across our campus, which is pretty cool. And there's sometimes a lot of competition in that world. There's a lot of naysaying about other organizations and other groups, both on their side and our side. We all admit to it. But let me invite you that if you feel like you're created to do good, one of the things that you can do is come support that night. Get to know somebody who goes to the Catholic group. Get to know somebody who goes to the, one of the non-denom groups. Get to know somebody who's experiencing a life of faith here in a different place, and yet it's still valuable and good, right? That might be the, one of the ways that you could help pull these groups together, that you might create good with your work. 
Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Wesley Foundation and FSU and TCC. We hope this was uplifting to you and helpful in your walk with Jesus. If you would like to support us, we would love your prayerful and financial support. You can give online at fsuwesley.com or on Venmo by just searching FSU Wesley Foundation. Thanks again.